Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast, episode 26 from Monday, November 25th, 2019. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And we both got back from Form Next, unharmed, still, uh, well, not sick, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, we, we talk a little bit about this 3D printing show because it is different to a Maker Faire and just how we experienced it and what we have seen there. And we have actually seen, or Tom has seen, a couple of interesting things about real like three-dimensional slicing, uh, 3D printing with a robot arm. We also talk a little bit about BCN Sigma's new Epsilon 3D printer and kind of a small controversy around uh, their active or not-so-active heated chamber. All right, on news, Lulzbot is safe. Lulzbot uh, found a buyer and they can continue their business which is which is really nice also uh autodesk gave or currently gives us uh, generative design in fusion 360 for free until the end of the year which was something that was actually reserved for the paid users before so give it a try yeah in uh, more news topics because we, we're now professional podcasters we talk about uh, podimo the german the wannabe Netflix of podcasts and on how we should do uh, chapter marks because you, you guys keep asking for them. And now we ask you guys if you have an actual solution for how we should implement it. Topic of the week. We're both RC plane dudes and I've, well, I've, I finally got into it. Stefan has been for a while. Printed planes. Uh, how to go about them, whether lightweight PLA is the, the right approach or whether, you know, using a combination for wings out of hot-wired EPP foam can be an alternative. Uh, lots of good stuff there. And then for a few questions, we talk about uh, bulletproof 3D prints that are claimed to be as hard as diamonds, uh, whatever that is. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's... Uh, yeah, if it if it were actual carbon nanotubes that they're basing this design off of, it's not really diamonds. But uh, other questions, actually practical approaches um, to making stronger parts. Metal 3D printing using hobbyist machines. Will we ever see that? Um, or will we or should we use the Ultrafuse by BSF? And lastly, why do we only review Chinese printers or why does it seem like we mostly review Chinese printers and none of the Western machines? All right, we've made it back from Formnext, haven't we? Yeah, we made it back. Um, it was quite a ride. How are you doing? How are oh, you, you holding up? You, you, you took the train for you. It was uh, the event was was the event. <laughs> the event, event was the event. Yeah, actually. But I, I noticed again <laughs> that German trains can be kind of horrible and you can't really re rely on them. Oh, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> yeah, I thought I, I, I would be like ecologically responsible and take the train to form next, which is should have been just like a three-hour train ride for me or three and you a half go to, hours. You go to Munich and then Munich to Frankfurt is the IC, right? No, it's uh, it's Ulm, Stuttgart. It's Ulm and then from Ulm, the ICE over Stuttgart okay. to, to Frankfurt. But first train already had 10 minutes delay. I had seven minutes for the change. So I missed my first train. 
And nice. I ended up like two hours later in Frankfurt, which was good because I had I I, I had lunch at the uh, at the train station, but worse than the other. In well, the, it was a free lunch. In the lounge? No, no, no. Ah, they, they, no. Don't have, they don't have food in the DB lounge. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just made it two hours later to form next. And since I just had like one and a half days, two hours was was quite a bit of uh, yeah time missing from my trip. Yeah. But you took your electric. Yeah. That was quite a ride, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I, was, I was two hours later than I expected too. <laughs> I don't think I'm much better off there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, charging actually does work pretty well, but for some reason that leaf, I don't, I don't know what's up with the range. I had to recharge every 100 kilometers instead of like the rated range of 270. So Seriously? for me, it was like three charging stops uh, on the way there and on the way back to and the last stop because rapid gate was instead of 44 kilowatts of charging 16 kilowatts <laughs> so you for a full charge it takes you like two hours so yeah but thankfully the uh the show does have free charging in the parking garage which you have to reserve a few weeks in advance which i did but like if you arrive there at 1 p.m nobody's there to actually unlock the charger for you and it's just... anyways i got there got back in one piece it, it was fine that's okay but why did you only get like the 100 kilometers you weren't speeding on the highway didn't you i was doing 120 um i don't know i don't know either the car is lying to me and how much power it actually uses because i did the math and in, in how much battery percentage it drains and how much it tells you it's using power wise and instead of a 40 kilowatt hour battery my math tells me it's only got like a 30 kilowatt hour battery <laughs> if the numbers the car is telling me are true uh i don't know the 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 dealership that that I leased this thing from told me, yeah, you can you can always do two hundred kilometers on charge, like unless you're like really flying down the highway, you can do two. I've never managed to do two hundred. I usually run out of of juice after one hundred sixty or one hundred seventy or so. Okay, and it was uh, well, it was cold, but it was not like really. The battery really cold. was scorching hot, or it was anywhere between cold and and warm, because every time you charge, it heats up the battery, and the battery mm. stays at the temperature. So. Anyways, that's that's EVs. People don't care about EVs. I mean, if you look at how many, if, it's just a, if it was a Tesla Cybertruck, maybe they care about it. But I'm just driving ESO, like, <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. You should have waited and uh, and reserved yourself self a uh, new Tesla truck. But do, by do, that do time, you like do you like the design? I wasn't sure if it was a joke. Yeah, me me too. It was like. Dude, you can't be serious. Like they've got the beautiful roads that are coming out. They've got the Model Three, which I'm I've grown to like. And then mm. it's um, it, it, it's it's black and white. Some people hate it. Some people really like it. I don't know. I I kind of think it looks ridiculous. But on the Maybe other hand, the all cars nowadays look like totally the same so i think it's quite a bold move from elon musk to like put a design like that out there because it's different it looks spacey it looks like a yeah. cyber truck um still don't know if i would purchase one but it has like like this this um 
it, it looks a bit like a DeLorean with its yes. with its stainless with steel outer shell, which is kind of cool. Steel, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at, at first I was like, what the explicit it, content are you guys doing here? This is how you, you got to be kidding me. I, I gotta say it's it's grown on me a bit. I'm I'm not I'm not feeling that urge to vomit when I see pictures of it. Um, <laughs> I've always liked the front and the back, like the way that. But that 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 crease, that hard edge in the roof. Mm. That, I think that's what's killing it for me. I don't know. It, it's probably going to be the new normal in five years. I think Maybe. cars are going to no. start looking like that. But it's. No. But I don't know. Yeah. Aerodynamics must be horrible that too. Yeah, must be horrible Though, with such a car. I I mean I it's probably it's probably not that our, our brain is probably intuitively telling us oh it's it's you know it's got hard edges and it, it's not mm. swooping uh, water droplet shaped it can't be aerodynamic but I'm I'm sure they've got something figured out because if you look at the range is they're putting massive batteries in that thing um which at 40k I don't think they are uh or it actually is somewhat aerodynamic because with the ranges you're getting, um, and it's uh, you've seen how big that thing is. It's mm. a massive car. Yeah, it's a truck technically. Sorry, it's not a car. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Have we it's seen hard. Any? Yeah, go go ahead. It's hard for me to imagine how you can make a car out of stainless steel and it's still like ecological because. Uh, the, like the weight to strength ratio, especially for sheet metals, is, is I think not the best with stainless steel because either you make it horribly thin, which then it probably would have uh, withstood like the smack with the with a sledgehammer. It's it's three millimeters thick. Uh, three millimeters. It's three millimeter outer shell. So a typical a car frame uh, is like so that the sidewall of a car is typically like one point two millimeters, and then thinner. Parts like doors are 0.8. That's yeah. like the, the standard sheet metal uh, yeah. thicknesses. So three millimeters is, I mean, not only incredibly rigid, but also, you know, tough. Mm. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Time we'll will see. tell. Time will tell. I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking they're going to change the design for the production model. I'm, I don't think they're actually going to release mm. it or in, in ship it like that. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I thought about if like this like really just polygon shape of the car is easier to manufacture, probably for the windshields. But otherwise, I think it might be even more challenging and more unforgiving. Yeah, because a uh, stamped sheet metal part, like the entire sidewall of a car, you need mm. you need the tools for that. Yeah, but it's it's just mm. a <laughs> it's that you know. And there's your sidewall. There's your complex swoopy shapes. It's not like somebody's standing there and hammering out the. Sh I mean, there, there's literally no difference. Well, it's, I mean, yeah, there is some difference, but it's not hard to manufacture a traditional car shape. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. did we see anything back as spacey at Formnext? Just to get the the topic back on track here. Yeah. <laughs> um. For me, it was hard because this year it was like four halls, four really huge halls with 3D printers and 3D printing related stuff. And just seeing everything in, in one and a half days is kind of impossible. So yeah, there were the big manufacturers. Uh, the good thing was that there were, were also like more small manufacturers, so more consumer and prosumer stuff. But... 
Um, I didn't see anything like really revolution revolutionary. Um, many things were just the evolution of things that you have kind of seen already in, in the last years. Um, I don't know, maybe I missed anything. Um, there wasn't anything really particular that stood out to me that was like, oh man, I would have never thought that something like that is possible. I don't know. How, how was it for you? Uh, I feel like we've been saying that for, for years now that, oh, this show, yeah, there's nothing really new and really big. Um, but isn't, isn't that good too, that we're, we're at this steady state where, I mean, phones, right? It's the same thing. Uh, there's not something that's like super revolutionary coming out in, in those things. Uh, same with 3D printers, at least FDM, where it's like, hey, this this enables new things. No, but it's it's getting it's getting better. It's getting uh, easier to use, more reliable. All those things are now coming together. Mm-hmm. For me, it was really, like you said, it was hard to take in because it's, it's such a big show. I've not seen Form Next in the years prior. Last time I was there, it was still called Euromold. And at that point, it was a a different show, I guess, uh, Mm content-wise, because it was also, you know, traditional injection molding uh, crammed into one show. It's it was interesting to see that there was like you said there was big manufacturers and small ones and not just big as in a lot of people work there mm. but also big customers as in companies targeting industrial and they they had um, five axis CNCs and large scale milling and and, and powder welding and all that but there were also the, the small filament makers and you know consumer brands there mm. I, I I do really like the fact that Formnix has kind of mixed that up. Mm-hmm. And it's not just purely industrial or purely consumer. Um, I do love shows like like Earth and Murph and the other ones that are like that too. But you know, having a you know a, a small filament manufacturer next to a company making uh, you know five hundred thousand euro printers is is kind of fun. Yeah, but I the the problem was that since nothing was ordered. And everything was just True. mixed over those those four halls. It was really hard if you were just browsing through the aisles to find something which, um, well, to find something which you were really looking for because you really had to take the time to take a look at each booth because by just walking by, you wouldn't know if it was like a 3d printing manufacturer a software manufacturer a material manufacturer or something like that and i hope that they will change something like that in the future that you have like a dedicated hall for professional metal 3d printers one for filament stuff or polymer stuff and things like that one for software because just the overview is missing um i don't know if if you want to be placed directly next to your competitor but for Maybe. me as a visitor it was just hard it was really hard uh, and i think i have just like walked by so many interesting things just because uh, my brain can't really cope with that many things things from each booth so and i did not have the time to really like say okay today i'm only in this hall and i'll really seriously take a look at each of the booths separately 
it it almost felt like they were grouping the halls by like the size of the company there was i think one of the 12 dot something i think the 12 dot one the the upstairs 12 hall um had all the big companies i think siemens was in there um uh, stratus stratus was yeah right up front i think that general was a, electric yeah ge yeah. a lot of big companies were in that in that hall and then the other ones were, were you know smaller and smaller the halls were still big but the companies were smaller that were in there um but maybe having that mixed approach it's probably not great for for the visitor if you're just looking for one specific mm-hmm. thing but if you're a company who's there you want to you know talk to other companies maybe maybe get some new contacts figure out hey these guys have that problem that we can solve which you only get i think if you have a really mixed floor mm-hmm. and it's not just oh here's all the software companies who you know all know about the same things <laughs> Yeah, I'm also a little bit torn, but like the like the other expositions, expos, expos, yeah. where I've also expos. been in the past shows, um, they were way more sorted and it was easier, especially if you did not have that much time to just say, okay, I have one day or I have half of a day and I'll only be in, in this hall because I know there's the stuff that's interesting for me. Um, otherwise it was great. It was really great. Um, because more consumer and prosumer stuff was there. Um, and also, yeah, lots of people from the community showed up. That was really cool. Um, which we didn't have during the last years because the last year's I think I was the only one there and I was there also just on on business terms so not like on YouTube terms so yeah. also just on business terms. Uh but this year you were there uh Joel 3D Maker Noob, uh Joe 3D Maker Noob, Joel 3D Printing Nerd. Um I was there um Vector uh, 3D uh, how was he called? Yeah. Uh, uh Adam? I Adam, think? yeah, Adam. Adam was there as well. Uh Floristique was there. Yeah, I didn't Mr. meet him. Royal. I I finally met him in person. I I think I fanboyed a bit too hard, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Gino Hoiska was there. Vokto Print, um, yeah, lots lots of cool people. And I I think just the the, the smaller brands shouting out, "Hey, we're going to be at Formnex," is attracting mm. a lot of people too. I yeah. think uh, someone like Joel, I think he got flown here by Siemens. Yeah. Um, they treat it like a full show that they're going to be filming at, like I do when I travel to the US. Uh, to film a show and, and interview people. No. Yeah. But um, one, of, one of the highlights from the show, because I, I actually do want to talk about like two things that we do have in our notes here that we I think we need to get to. <laughs> um, it's not just talking about Meta. So one of the highlights was Free D, um, okay. who, who I'll have in a video to that's coming up probably the same time as this podcast but uh free d that's spelled with like a free dash d what they're doing is they're they're like a two-man company startup they're they're looking for funding they're looking for partners what they're doing is a five axis uh slicing approach i guess you'd call it but it's it's like it's not slices it's like curved carves i guess i guess you could call it a carver instead of a slicer at that point um so (laughs) they have do they yep. have a homepage? I 
think they're like not at the point where they okay. have a homepage yet. Okay. Um, they had a really small booth. They, they only had one thing to show, and it was like a small six axis with five axis. I mean, it really doesn't matter. I think it was a six axis robot, uh, just a robot arm that was printing Tetris pieces, like you know the typical. Yeah. There's a name for every Tetris piece, which I don't know because I'm not into Tetris. Um, that that L sh- ah okay yeah that e. that S shape I guess that the thing that Harry Potter has on his uh, on his forehead uh, that shape. <laughs> I, I how how else should I explain that shape? Um, that shape that they were printing and basically where it gets to that first horizontal. Uh, layer or that that first horizontal section mm. where, where it takes a 90 degree turn the printer switches from just printing um, planar layers to actually printing planar layers on top of planar layers and then where it where it you know goes out sideways it starts printing or it, it those those planar layers start going into circular layers um, basically mm-hmm. around that that inner crease that inner edge and it basically never prints an overhang it because the layers that the way that the nozzle is oriented is always perpendicular mm-hmm. um to what it's printing onto so it's 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 never you know it's never halfway over there so they i think they are trying to do a very robust um slicing approach mm-hmm. or carving approach um i just i just made up that term by the way there's they didn't call it carving uh where you can just give their software your model and it's figuring out everything by itself like how mm-hmm. Uh, how can your arm or your robot platform reach the model actually um how it should ideally um slice off certain parts and and, and structure the model mm. to where you you do have transitions from one angle to the other and it's not just sharp which they can do too but uh, ideally you want it with smooth transitions in in the way that the that the layers are angled and it's not the same as the non-planar slicing that we've seen the the tech demo of mm. which is the uh, slick through our conversion uh, which really just takes your top layer and kind of smooths that over no it's really it's using more than xyz it's xyz and two or three rotational axes that builds the entire model out of non-planar layers Mm. And they've they've had like the Stanford bunny in there, and it looked really really good. I've tried to 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 push them into the direction of hey, like publish this stuff is open source. Like people are going to find applications for it because right now they don't have they don't even have a reference mechanical platform. Mm. I think in in this community, um, you for sure find people who just you know oh by the way I've got a robot arm hey but I'm trying your slice and it's working great. You're going to find those sort of people. I've seen so many great things come out of this open source community, and I, I, I've suggested to them that hey, maybe this is this is one direction that you could go into, um, but that they're really trying to figure out what their product actually is, whether mm. they want to be like a consulting company that helps companies uh, implement their slicer into their products, whether they just want to license off stuff. I, they don't know. But that was that was really cool, and that was the first approach to non-planar or to freeform slicing that was more than just a research project they are actually going to put this into a product if if their plan pans out i i think i've seen something similar at a research booth of a university where they also had a like a six axis robot arm um and that's that's really cool because like the hardware has been there for for ages 
but we didn't have the software so far to do those crazy things. Um, there are things like that implemented in like very expensive commercial software where you do direct energy deposition, like you said it before, um, wire arc welding on a robot yep. or powder laser welding on a robot. But they actually face the same the same issues, and um, it's it's cool that people start making software exactly to take advantage of that technology, because not only enables us to print supportless, but you well, my thing again, you could also like um, optimize the printing algorithm to make your part stronger, because you are not limited in just one layer. Because yeah. well, you can do it in in all in all three dimensions and and lay down the material, which is really really cool. And that would make fiber continuous fiber reinforced three D printing finally viable for yeah. like everything and stuff like that. They've, so that's that's really they've cool. mentioned that explicitly. They've mentioned like the the Mark Forge approach where you have fibers not just running in the xy mm. plane but actually free through the layer and and i think that's a different optimization goal because right now what i've seen is ju it's just okay we need to, to make this thing printable mm. but if it's that they can still print with supports they can still yeah. add supports obviously yeah. um if you optimize for like the stanford bunny ear you actually you don't want that ear to have the layers oriented in the perfect way to print it for strength because then you have just the, the really tiny layers that they're going to crack. You actually want to print that ear in one long swoop. If you optimize for that, then you you get you automatically get stronger prints. And that I think that should be possible if you have a, a solid software basis. That should be possible too. Mm. Well, in the end, you kind of need to <clears throat> section your part or or like uh, have different areas where you want different printing orientations. And if your optimization goal is printability, that's fine. But you could also have other other optimization goals to make use of the technology in another way. And that's really yeah. cool. That yeah, is something I would call more revolutionary than other things I have seen on the exposition. Yeah, for sure. And it, their, their big thing was you have to keep in mind the geometry of whatever your tool head is, whatever your arm or your motion platform can do. That is your your number one constraint that makes it mm. so hard to port this thing from one person doing it on a five-axis mill mm. uh, to another person doing it with a you know six-axis robot arm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that. Really cool. And the other thing that I've noted down here is the BCN3D Epsilon. Yeah controversies the internet <laughs> loves them does it have an active heated chamber uh have you have you taken a look at the epsilon yes i was at their booth and i talked to the cto it was really interesting it's a really really nice machine as 3d maker noob called it huggable <laughs> um yeah, yeah it's, it's basically their like small idex 3d printer in a nice enclosure a little bit bigger um and like designed the, for the, industrial the, the 3D printing. It it, it so, ain't small, man. No, it it it, it ain't not small anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I don't know. Can you yeah. tell me what what the the print volume is? But it's something like four hundred by it's four hundred four twenty by three hundred by four hundred millimeters. Yeah. So um, it's and I, I think size. I think that that print envelope is reachable by both tool heads. 
because they park off to the side, which is yep. not something that they can do with uh, the Ultimakers. Yep. And it's definitely competing with the new Ultimaker Pro Pack. Was it called Pro Pack? Pro? Uh, yeah, no, I... Mm, I don't know. I I mean, it's it's competing with the base Ultimaker S5. Um, it's a big, big. It's a bit bigger. It's a yeah, bit more but, expensive. Yeah. But it doesn't have like it's not a five filament pre-selection. It's just two filaments that you, uh, you know, load into the printer. It's got a filament sensor though, so my, it's something. <laughs> um, yeah. What what is what else is the the filament uh, the Ultimaker Pro Pack Pro? Well, do you have the hood. That is oh, yeah. has the filter and probably also like right. environmental control that you can print with like a little bit hotter room temperature in there, which is good for demanding materials like ABS, polycarbonate, nylon. Which yeah. brings us to the controversy point. Yeah, is it? I mean, it's a heated <laughs> chamber, right? Obviously, it's a it's a chamber and it gets warmer there, so it's it's heated. But apparently. Uh, there was a bit of a discussion on Twitter the other day whether it was a active heated chamber, a heated chamber, or a passive heated chamber because I, I think PC and 3D weren't really clear that it was only a... I mean, it's an actively controlled heated chamber to be super accurate, but it's a passively heated one. It doesn't have like a, a you know, a hairdryer heater in there. It's just yeah. the heated bed heating up the air in that chamber and they've got a small fan if it gets too hot, if it goes beyond that set temperature that I, I think you can set, you probably can set, uh, that fan kicks on, it blows some air out the out the back and it cools off that chamber. Though that only cools down like two or three degrees, so it doesn't really do much. Um, but apparently because of the way that the temperatures uh, of the heated bed are set for your material, the heated chamber itself heats up to the more or less ideal temperature anyways for that material so with mm. an abs you get like 60 degrees ambient temperature in that chamber uh with pla obviously that temperature is going to be lower which is good because you don't really need much extra temperature for printing pla in fact you might sometimes want uh less temperature in there yeah but you can always open the door so <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of spoiling the the nice thing about an, an enclosure and that's also probably an issue with the ultimaker i don't know they probably are able to handle it quite well with just like leaving the the big fan on in there that everything has kind of ambient temperature around there but pla might be a little bit a little bit harder to print so um i i just checked before we started the show and now they are saying on their website that it is a passively heated chamber. Um, yeah. I so, did yeah. check too. Apparently in, in some other spot, it wasn't that that passive was missing, but okay, no. No. whatever. I mean, the, the patent on, on Stratus' heated chambers run out anyway, so... I, I was I actually it's, it's, che checking that as well, and I read something that it was like prolonged until 2021 or something like what? that can you do that i i'm not 100 sure uh, but i've just read something at some point and i'm not 100 sure if the stratus's patent are actually for all of the heated chambers or if it's just so the stratus's machines they have their motors and like 
most of the print head outside of the heated chamber they they use something like a accordion accordion um, yeah like a curtain curtain thing on the top that isolates motors and the extruder from the hot temperatures from the chamber and I yeah. found patents for those, but yeah. I, 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 that's that. my understanding too. It's not for the entirety of just having mm. a closed chamber. It's for that specific thing mm. that, you, that you get your temperature-sensitive components outside mm. that hot chamber, which is so, pretty. Which is pretty pretty good for for everyone because then maybe heated chambers become more and more common, which enables us in w- the when end. When it runs out, when it runs out, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that you that you're cheering for patents running out too. <laughs> yeah, I've I've yeah. seen some creative workarounds of that heated chamber or that that um, you know not using that sort of of curtained accordion style uh, rubber. I don't know if it's rubber. Have you but, seen uh, how are those guys called? They are also like uh, a smaller company from Aachen. Uh, no, I've I've seen it. I've seen it at a at a you know mid to bigger size company, not from Germany. Okay, and and they were actually using like a big plate around the hot end, which was heated, so it was always just like radiating heat on <laughs> on the print at the area where it was printing. So an anti part cooling fan, something like that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, that's the that's the Bethin 3D Epsilon. It's eight thousand something, depending on, of course, where you buy it. Eight, eight between eight and nine thousand euros, including tax. So, yeah. a bit bit more expensive than the Ultimaker, I think, but reasonable and bigger, and it's it, it's mostly compatible with the Sigmas. So, yeah, that's that. And before we move on to the next topic, uh, I I do want to give a shout out to to Gina um, for shepherding us through frankfurt uh on that <laughs> was it wednesday night i think it was yeah it was wednesday night yeah yeah let let the memes commence uh basically gina took us out for dinner or guided us to to dinner um because she's she's from the frankfurt area um and yeah it was a good time thank you gina you probably not gina's probably not listening but <laughs> if if you guys meet her give her a high five or a fist bump or whatever you're into <laughs> something like that yeah i really enjoyed it i hope you enjoyed it as well and uh yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to be there next year and maybe a day more or something like that or i don't yeah, know for, for, for me it was only 23 hours basically that was in frankfurt um <laughs> i thought like yeah you just drive there and you drive back and don't make it a big deal maybe i i, I should make it a bit bigger deal next time but we will see how 2020 goes. Yes. It's, it's it's that time of the year where you're like, oh, the year's ending and it's 2020 now. The, the decade's over, actually. <laughs> oh, oh, don't start with that. And the end of the year usually gets really stressful. That's what I'm really not looking forward to because things need to be finished. Um, well, on the other hand, ad revenue is usually better at the end of the, the year, so... That's good for us. I guess. I guess, yeah. If you just want to show for random products. Um, <laughs> which is a, a question that we will get to at the end of the uh, video, actually. So yeah. stay tuned. I mean, you've, you've already seen. So, by the way, quick behind the scenes here. The way we record these podcasts is we do the content first. Uh, we've got our, our, our script listed out. We've got our, our plan of what we want to talk about. But because we don't know what we'll actually get to talking about, whether we're going to, you know, ramble about, uh, 
you know, film next for half an hour. That that can happen, which is like this much of our script. Um, we do that intro where we talk about what we're going to be talking about at the very end once we're done recording. So we've not actually done the intro at this point, but uh, <laughs> you will already have listened to it. So yes. you, you guys will know what we will be talking about, but we don't know that yet. <laughs> there, there's the, uh, what's it called? The fourth wall? Third wall? Yeah. Fourth wall? <laughs> Something. All right. Yeah, let's continue with news. So yep. you want to start? Yeah, Loadspot, I think we, we can we can do these relatively quickly, yep. maybe. Loadspot is safe. They found a they found an investor or somebody who's who's buying their company. So Loadspot, last time we talked, I think, were still struggling because they, they were running out of cash. They were laying off people left and right, and they've cut down their workforce by a very significant margin. Um so at that time news wasn't yet that Loadspot was done for it was only like ah we, we're gonna we're gonna find a contingency plan and they did they found let me actually open up the article again in my tiny chrome tabs um fame 3d who i've never heard of um are buying up loadspot and apparently they're committing to uh supporting the existing printers and they will be making the Taz lineup and mini lineup of uh, of loadspot's machines mm-hmm. under the loadspot brand with you know a, a part of the original loadspot staff so yeah alf objects is uh still kicking in the round I'm, the the name fargo engineering or how are they called fargo additive manufacturing added equipment, equipment fame 3d Fargo tells me something, but I can't remember where I heard it before. It was a, it was a movie. Ah, uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> Which I don't think I've ever seen. As, let me know. Should, should I watch that thing? I've got it maybe on Netflix. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Netflix. Cool. Yeah. Happy to hear that. <laughs> no spot is safe. Your yeah. mic just did something really weird. At least it sounded kind of weird to me. Okay. Sh- might have just been Google Meet, but whatever. Let's move on with the news. Um, Generative design. It's your topic. Generative design in Fusion 360 is currently free to use until the end of the year if you don't have a paid subscription, which (laughs) probably most of you have, Um, which is really cool. So um, generative design before was only available for like the expensive paid version. And you also had to use cloud credits and things like that. But Autodesk made it free for the free license and the hobby and entrepreneur license, Which startup license. Is this apparently it's the same license now? Yeah, something, something. Uh, we I've, talked I've about still that. Not had around yeah. that, but. But um, so it's it's free. It is it is so it, it wasn't even included in those free or lower tier versions before at all. No. And now it's not only is it included, but you're also not using cloud credits for it. No, am so I getting that right? Yes, it's okay. totally free until the end of the year, first of January. It will somehow go back to the like only the paid version. Um, I don't know if this is just a promotion or if they want to see more Probably. applications of that and stuff like that. But I'm really looking forward to because I really want to play around with generative design and 
see what applications might be interesting and what the real difference between um, topology optimization or like the topology optimization tool in, in Fusion 360 and generative design is because it always looked kind of nice, but there wa there wasn't really that much information around because it wasn't free and not many were using it, supposedly. Yeah. So, yeah, if you also use Fusion 360, uh, give it a try. Um, don't use all of the server capacity because otherwise I'm not able to use it anymore. But yeah, really, really give it a try. And I will also link a video tutorial down in the description, which I just found when I was looking for generative design in Fusion 360. <laughs> nice. So yeah, it is, it, it's probably, the results are probably going to be somewhat similar to topology optimization because, you know, the, the entire organic thing is also happening, but it's a different approach. It's not giving you a mesh, it's giving you actual geometry and it's, we've, we've quickly discussed this at uh, Formnix, <laughs> but the way I've understood it is that generative design actually generates your geometry. You give it like constraints. I've got a bolt hole here and I've got a load there and it creates some sort of geometry between that. Whereas um, topology optimization, you give it like a, I guess it's, you give, you give generative design a, 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 an area to work in too, mm. a volume to work in. Whereas topology optimization, you give it that, that volume, you, you create a block first and then it cuts away everything that it doesn't need. But yeah, if you try it out, yeah. leave a comment. Let us let us know how it goes. Yeah, maybe you can do another uh, one of those uh, spacey um, shelf brackets. Shelf brackets. I, I definitely need to make some more because I currently have the problem that I have so many rolls of filament around here, and I don't know where to put them. Yeah, and they're for, just for blocking those... my whole like shelf next to me. I mean, for those, I would recommend just getting a, a, a Steckregal. <laughs> those are like rated for 60 kilograms per shelf or something. I wouldn't trust those on 3D printed races. Yeah, yeah come on. If, if you take a look at, at Joel's office, he has all his filaments on his like really flimsy sh uh, 3D printed shelf things and right uh, yeah I, I gotta ask him but i don't know if if they ever broke well uh, anyways okay so that is generative design <laughs> yeah very interesting stuff um a two two quick things about meta podcasting topics um the first one is podimo so um they are a german company you know, pushed up to the top of the podcasting game by 6 million euros of venture capital. They want to be the next Netflix of podcasts. Now, what they're basically doing is they're a podcatcher, like the app that I use. I use Pocket Cast to listen to all my podcasts. So basically, Podimo are accumulating all the podcasts from the internet. They're putting it into their platform, into their I guess it's behind a, a sign-in wall, at least, mm. uh, into their app and into their web platform and saying, hey, this is, you know, we're offering you all these podcasts from, you know, a single source where the new, you know, go-to source for podcasts. Now, I, because we're not, I personally don't care about this podcast being on there. And yes, they have scooped up our podcast as well and put it on their, onto their platform. I personally don't have a problem with, my podcast or our podcast technically sorry uh being on there i don't know stefan we've, we've briefly 
talked about what Podima is, I don't think you have a problem of having the Meltzone listed on there as well. Do you? No, I don't. Well, no. okay. Well, we discussed about that. It's just like more exposure, more ways to to listen to it. Yeah. So here's the problem that's coming up, and this is out of solidarity. That's that doesn't sound right. It's solidarity. Doesn't sound right in English, but. Um, other podcasters are having a problem with the way that Podimo are going on about this. So what Podimo are doing is they're basically going to, to the iTunes library and they're going like, hey, this, let's, let's ingest all these podcasts. They're going over to Spotify and they're scooping up every single RSS feed of a podcast they can find, putting on the app and basically using free podcasts like ours to pad their libraries so they can sell their premium subscriptions. And what they're saying the premium subscription does is you can support the podcasters that you love, which we're not seeing a single penny off of that. Um, now, there, there are two things that they're trying to do here. First of all, Podimo are producing 10 exclusive podcasts themselves that only will end up on their platform. And basically, your money goes towards those uh, those podcasts first and foremost. Secondly, is that they're offering you two basically contracts with them and the first one is you can publish your podcasts everywhere like we do we just want to be available everywhere and they will give you a whopping 20 percent of what you're paying podimo for their service of you they're not even hosting it for you so they the the, the traffic is still on our server um they're basically just copying the description and, and then you know showing it in their app. That's all they're doing, and they they take eighty they take an eighty percent cut for their service. Um, you can also do an exclusive agreement with them where you don't get to play or show your podcast anywhere else but Podimo, and you're getting a sixty percent cut, which you would be you would have to be crazy to take that deal because really you as a podcast that's not how podcasting works, and. Yeah, if you don't take a deal with them, like you're, you're getting nothing at all. The thing is, the way that Podimo are, are approaching this is, is is upsetting a lot of people because they're saying, hey, we're, we're just taking all these podcasts, we're, we're ingesting them. And if you have a problem with us ingesting your podcast, you know, just write us an email and we'll take it down. And that's like, hey, we, we can steal all your content. That That's what it's being perceived as. We can steal whoever's content we want. And if you've got a problem with it, just, you know, we'll take it down. The problem is, of course, they don't respond to emails. They, <laughs> there's nobody there to to reach. And they don't actually take down smaller podcasts. If it's a bit big podcast, maybe. But um, <sighs> they're just shooting themselves in, in the knee, in the leg, in the ankle in whatever lower body parts that are below your waist uh, <laughs> by by being so self-obsessed about their platform. And if you're listening to this podcast on Podimo right now, again, I don't have a problem with that. Stefan doesn't have a problem with that. But you may be better off actually listening to, on iTunes or Pocket Casts or adding the RSS feed to whatever app you want instead of you know, getting pushed into the Podimo premium subscription model. Because again, you, you're not really supporting any of the podcasts you're probably listening to. Yeah. That's just that. <laughs> I mean, R uh, we rather support your creators over Patreon or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. 
Totally. Yeah. Patreon, PayPal. Um, do we have a, a donation bank account? I, I got to look into whether we can we can actually just do a, a bank account, a secondary account or something where people can can chuck us, uh, you know, a coffee or a beer every now and then. Yeah. With no PayPal fees and stuff. Yeah. Uh, with no eighty percent cut to Bodemo, like <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Even yeah. Patreon is not taking that much. Even YouTube is not taking that much. Yeah, I've actually I've actually asked YouTube in the workshop how much they're taking off of YouTube memberships, and it's thirty uh, percent is yeah. what they're taking. That's the official number. So yeah, that's the same w like with super chats and stuff like that. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to support your creators directly, um, you know. PayPal, bank account, direct donations, that, that always ends up with more money in uh, their pocket, less money going to the platforms, yeah. whatever you want to do. But yes, um, I would not recommend using Podimo just because some people that I respect have a problem with the way that Podimo are handling things. I will link a German article, or Stefan actually will link a German article underneath this podcast um, where you can read the entire rant in its whole glory. Yeah. Next topic, chapter marks. So people are approaching us always in the comments under the, well, at least under the YouTube podcast that they want to have chapter, um, well, chapter marks so that they can skip to the topics that are interested, interesting for them. Um, I'm not 100% sure what I think about that because for me podcasting is is a format where you start listen, listening in the beginning and stop listening in the end and you don't like just jump around for the things that are interesting for you. But if people are sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean I same for me. I usually I listen to an entire podcast episode um and if it's I I don't jump through. So, yeah. Yeah. And also yeah, listening to a podcast should be the only thing you're doing. So if you're listening to a podcast, clean the house, I don't know, drive Do to laundry, work or yeah. something like that. Um, anyways, so our problem still is, uh, even though we, we could put it under um, the podcast itself on YouTube, um, we are thinking about like getting a software or a tool where we can also provide chapter marks in the well podcast app itself yeah. but that turns out to be quite difficult and maybe you can say a couple of words there yeah so the uh like like you said like but what we could do is just put some timestamps in the youtube description but you know people who listen or watch on youtube that they're probably not going to find that in the description because you know show more and all that uh but it's also not helping anyone who's just listening to the audio version there are a few ways to do it like in the actual mp3 file apparently um yeah. but yeah like you said we've not found a tool that does that very efficiently and just providing it in one space where you know we still have to do all the work to actually market and and, and put that into a format that is readable um to people and to tools and just having to show up in one place where we get maybe 20 percent of of listens doesn't make a whole lot of sense so if you guys have a recommendation for Either a podcasting recording tool um, that, you know, lets us record remotely because we're not in the same room as you may have guessed by now. Um, lets us record remotely, does, you know, handles audio stuff possibly because right now we're just recording into Adobe Edition. 
uh, does chapter marks in an MP3 export. If you know a tool that does that, that would be awesome. I do have one marked down, but I don't want to bias you guys before you start here. Um, so yeah, if you have, if you know a tool for that, that would be great. Or if you know a tool that works on Windows, because we're both Windows guys, um, that can mark an MP3 file in a way where podcasting or podcatchers will actually pick up those chapter marks and show it to you as a skippable um, mark or chapter, then please let us know and we will take a look at those. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Let's continue to the topic of the week. Yes, yes, you... yes, yes, yes. Show it to us. Oh. Yeah, oh, I, I, I took out I took out the nose piece. This yes. is what I've been spending my... I'm, I'm probably going to have to hold it like this so that when we split screen, we can actually see the entire thing. <laughs> this has... I mean, I've always been an RC guy, and I feel like a lot of people who are into 3D printing kind of share that, um, where we're both, you know, printing stuff but we've we've had experiences with rc cars or planes or whatever so i've always been a car rc car buggy monster truck all that guy and i finally decided to take up flying and i've been flying flying wings and it's been a whole lot of fun but the reason why i'm getting into it obviously because i've seen uh, you know 3d printed planes yeah and you've actually done one I've, i didn't i didn't know that before. <laughs> so I've been into RC flying for 20 years or more. It's still wet. <laughs> super foggy today. Yeah, horrible weather outside. So yeah, I, I've been into RC flying for, for 20 years. I started when I was really young, then just didn't continue because I was too scared of you ruining my plane. And then continued flying uh, i don't know 10 12 12 years ago 10 years 10 years ago um when the first like foam airplanes came on the market that weren't styrofoam so they <laughs> weren't exploding when you just hit the ground lightly yeah so epp epo and things yeah, like that same stuff so it's, it's basically foamed polypropylene which yeah. we love as a 3d printing material yeah and which is a, which is really impact resistant and doesn't yes. scatter like uh, expanded polystyrol. Anyways, so um, that may yeah. just... <laughs> Crap, I've already cut this one, so of course it cracks. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that just made like getting into flying so easy because you could crash your plane and it, was, it wasn't like really bad in the end because uh, worst thing that could happen is glue a couple of parts back together and you're good to go again and that is yeah. working quite well with uh, super glue yeah, yeah and glue. yeah and then like oh it was a long time ago like three four years ago i saw a video i think on flight test where they showed a 3d printed p38 lightning uh which was just gorgeous to take a look at and at some point, I started. Uh, I, I printed my own plane. Um, I, I did. I think a three-part video series on that. Uh, three parts being that I tested print settings to get the hull as um, as 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 strong as possible, and then I printed that uh, Messerschmitt MA 
ME109, something something like that, uh, which flies really well. It's 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 crazy. So um, the plans or the STLs can actually be purchased at 3D Labprint uh, that has a ton of different airplanes on their platform to sell. The files are awesome. Uh, There is really some art in those designs, how they arrange the parts in there that you get this really lightweight structure and that is printing properly in the end. Um, You glue it together, you fly it. It's a bit heavy, to be honest. Um, So it flies a little bit faster than a foam airplane. But But for, I mean, a 3D printed plane wouldn't be something I'd recommend or one would recommend for beginners because you you, you land a bit too hard and it's it's a bit harder yeah. to repair than than foam right yeah um you could argue that oh uh, if your plane breaks just print another one still it's uh, I think the Messerschmitt has uh something like 600 grams of material in there or 800 or something like that so it takes you quite a while to print that uh it's and if you need to replace a part you have to you know somehow extract the broken one and you have to glue it back in and make it perfect so yeah it it's 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 really cool i i have been flying it like once i crashed it like three times uh now it's just sitting on my wall and looking really nice <laughs> actually it's it's behind you isn't it right it is behind me yeah. i don't know we i can, think you can see it on the camera but usually i on can my videos. i can see it in the in the video feed yeah, yeah you can see it um it's cool it's really really cool and well since you now started getting into rc planes again i kind of have the temptation to also get my my planes out again and uh, just fly around a little bit more because i have fpv gear and if you guys don't know what that is it's like um um a radio like a, a wireless camera in there and you put a small camera in the front and the transmitter and you either put on goggles go ahead yeah yeah and you have goggles and you feel like you are flying the plane yourself which is really really cool really nice experience uh it is way better than as well if you have for example a dji drone and just take a look at the the screen on your phone or something like that because you really feel emerged and uh since this is all using analog technology there is basically no latency in the signal so you can do some really crazy stuff with the airplanes and also with quadcopters and stuff like that yeah but and yeah I've... so well you you started now with the foam planes do, do you plan yes. the, uh, f- well f- do you plan also printing one or even designing one yourself a so 3d printable the... one uh yes yes i mean the, the entire reason why i bought so i've, I've got this is the the s800 sky shadow really popular wing um the, the other one i got was the hobby king bonsai 2 which is a small one 600 millimeter way lighter about 250 grams this one is like 450 um the only reason why i bought these was because i wanted a reference design that i could base my design off of because i have i honestly have no idea about designing planes i've watched a ton of flight tests as you probably have um i've binged tom stanton and rc test flight and, and all those guys just learning about uh what makes a piece of foam or geometry fly and just why why for example 
you know, these wings are shaped. So this is the way, this is the direction it flies. Sorry, audio listeners, but uh, if you're basically looking at this, it has the wing swooping back. Why does it have that? Well, because it stabilizes the wing in that direction. Um, why do sailplanes have dihedral, where the wings actually point upwards, if you look at, at it from the from the center? Yeah, because it stabilizes it in that direction. Stuff like that, where you don't think about it when you just see, oh, yeah, that, that's how a plane looks. Yeah, sure, but you don't think about uh, why it looks that way. So, yes, yes, I I've thought about different ways of, of approaching the 3D printed plane. Um, we've seen the full PLA, basically spar and then the shell over it construction, as you'd see with balsa planes, where you have just thin balsa spars and then have a film over it. Um, that's what, what your plane is built like? Yep. Uh, I thought about doing a similar thing with the Colorfab lightweight PLA. Uh, yes. Mr. Horn seems to be a, a, quite a fan of that. So the lightweight PLA is a is a PLA that foams while you print it. So they're, they're, you have a roll. Yeah, they've offered me a roll too. I need to get back to them. Um, it's extruded, apparently, the filament itself is extruded in production at a lower temperature. And then when you first shove it through your nozzle at a higher-ish temperature, it creates air pockets because it basically mm. becomes a sponge. So that gives you, I guess, still a decent extrusion width and rigidity mostly, I, mm. I'd hope, while being much, much lighter. I think it's only like 60% of the weight when working perfectly or something. Do um, you know the exact number? So you, you can adjust the, the density depending on the printing temperature. If you print at lower temperatures, you still get like 80, 90, even 100% of density from the material. Yeah. But the higher... The temperature, the more foaming you'll get. So there is a foaming agent in in the filament itself. I think it's it's kind of similar to what Polymaker, for example, does in their polywood filament, which is not wood. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I just looked it up. Actually, they're, they're claiming uh, increasing its volume by nearly three times, which would be like thirty three percent density in the end. That would be amazing. Okay, yeah. I got. I got to try this stuff. Um, yeah, you can degree. You can decrease material flow by sixty percent when you're printing at ideal temperatures. So, that would be amazing, obviously, because as you mentioned with with your uh, plane, three D printed wings or, or planes yeah. are kind of heavy. So, that would be an option. And I've also considered. Basically, let me pick this thing up again. Um, basically just having the center canopy fuselage, whatever you call it, with a wing. Because I, I feel like I want to stick with just flying wings. I think they're kind of cool. Um, and they're less complex than having a, a fuselage and then a, a tail and all that. Um, but way just, more unstable. Yeah, well, I've, I, I put flight controllers in mind. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, That doesn't always help. It sometimes crashes your plane too. But... Um, just printing the center section and then hot wiring the wings. We're, we're doing something with the wings that is a more lightweight process because really the the complex part is that center canopy where you put all your gear and all your stuff, receiver, flight controller, battery, FPV gear, that, that all goes in here. And then the wings are relatively simple shapes, really. Um, like I mentioned, there, there are carbon spars and reinforcements, no. but it's not something that you couldn't do with a hot wire, for example. No. Um, and it would be probably like sufficiently stable if you would do the wings in in foam and just reinforce them with carbon spars or even just oh, yeah. packing packing tape on top. 
Yeah, though, to, to be honest, I've not found a, a tape that really sticks to EPA, uh, EPA, sorry, EPA, that's, uh, the, that's the US agency, to EPP. Um, because polypropylene is, is kind of, it feels kind of oily. Okay. And I've not found a packing tape, at least with the bonsai, which is a hot wire okay. one. This is uh, molded. Um, gaff tape is actually the only tape that I found that sticks to it well. This is okay. um, brand name gaff tape. I don't know the, the exact brand, but this no. sticks packing tape has always come off. No. So, yeah, but something like this where there's just a carbon spar in it or actually a carbon tube running through the entire first third of the wing mm. would definitely help. And foam works for these wings perfectly. Mm, definitely. So, yeah, there's lots, lots of, of, of room to experiment. And it's something that, that I'm really excited about mm -hmm. right now because for, for me, it's a learning experience. I think that's the... No. Yeah. So, well, may, maybe coming back to the lightweight PLA because I also think this is a really interesting material and it's not used that much so far. So I also have like a roll on my shelf for couple of months and i wanted to do to do a video on that for quite a while and actually um the guys from eclipse on airplanes that kind of do the same thing as 3d lab print does so they are also um designing 3d printable planes they told me about the material and said okay they're currently working with that material for their airplanes because they see the benefit in lighter structure and they have already printed um one of their planes in the lightweight pla and s told me that they had really good success with it it's less stiff obviously if uh the the density is lower yeah uh but you can still use like the the carbon spars in there so you can still get a really like lightweight structure and just reinforce it with yeah the spars to make it to make it stiff so yeah i'm i'm really planning to do a couple of tests to see if like the strength or the stiffness is linearly dependent on the well amount of foaming or the density that you have because yeah. as i said there are really interesting applications where this could be useful and what I, for example, also see if you have a dual nozzle 3D printer, you could load this material in one nozzle and load like normal PLA in the other nozzle and only do like the outer hull of a wing or of the airplane itself with a lightweight PLA. And at the sections where you really need the the strength, um, there use standard PLA and they should be like combining pretty well. If yeah. they're both PLA, they should stick to each other for sure. Yeah, they should stick but, to each other. But and wouldn't wouldn't you do it the the other way around if you want rigidity, um, as in stiffness? You do the standard PLA on the outside and the yeah. foam on the inside, like you, you said with packing tape on yeah. foam. Yeah, maybe, but um, I think with a standard nozzle, a zero point four millimeter hull is just actually yeah. way too stiff or you way too thick for sure you need a thinner one so either you use a thinner nozzle or you use this lightweight pla which might also be yeah, beneficial yeah. i don't know what's better in the end um i also thought about um using like a single nozzle approach because depending on the temperature in your hot end you can adjust the density of the material just on the fly so what i made in the past is i made like multi-tone 3d prints with wood filament where i 
took a multicolor 3D printed part and instead of switching nozzles or materials, I just changed the temperature of my hot end. And um, some brands of wood filament, they severely change color depending on the printing temperature. Yeah, because you, you're caramelizing the, the wood basically, right? Exactly. Uh, but the thing is, the thermal mass of the hot end is so high that you need quite a bit big perch block in between in order to get the temperatures well either lower or or higher which is kind of a downside of that uh, of that approach but still it works in the end so you could do something similar like that with lightweight pla and have a part that doesn't only have um like non-consistent density over the part due to the infill structure but you could also like tone the material density in a in an intelligent way in order that you use the material the most efficient way and that is pretty cool yeah. i mean if you if you think about what foaming actually is it's just it's the same approach as doing infill it's just on a much smaller scale exactly right? you're creating that that sponge texture yeah. instead of having it you know in a in a 10 millimeter grid you're doing it on yeah. a 10 micron grid yeah so yeah, lots of lots of potential there, and I think for for stuff where weight matters, uh, and you just need, for for wing really, you just need the, the geometry of the airfoil. That's really what matters. And if it's if it's heavier, it's just more weight you have to account for it down the road. It's it's kind of the, this classic rocket problem, um, where the heavier you make it, the heavier you have to make it because it's heavy. Yeah. So yeah, could could be a lot of fun. I'm I'm just I'm just enjoying flying right now, and yeah. <laughs> glad i glad i got into it and, and 3d printing inspired me to to do that that is really nice because well i have talked to many other like rc guys and the way they actually came into 3d printing was okay i finally have a method to get my designs into parts for my rc plane uh, RC planes or, or cars really yeah. fast because I don't need to use conventional manufacturing. I just do the CAD design, print it out, and then it's ready to go. Even though um, they might learn at some point that strength <laughs> might be an issue, especially compared to like aluminum or injection molded parts. But if you design it properly, um, yeah, 3D prints can be can really hold up quite a bit. And taking a look at, at the 3D printable airplane I have behind me, it is strong enough to do quite a lot of things. And I crashed it several times um, and it, it didn't look too bad. I didn't really have to print any, any spare parts for it. All right, bit of packing tape, fix it right up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I just think that, that there's, as we've seen with, Someone like Tom Stanton. Obviously, he's he's the poster child for this. You've you've met him at, at XYZ Summit. Yes. Um, there's, I think there's there's just a massive overlap of people who enjoy 3D printing and people who who enjoy RC stuff, be it planes or, or cars, trucks, all that. It's it's a very similar experience, I think, tinkering wise and, and actually using the thing where where the tinkering itself is as much a part of the hobby as the using the thing. Yeah. So yeah, and there's cool. there's lots to learn, obviously, which is 
which can be confusing, but it's it's also entire or very rewarding once you figure out, oh yeah, that's how that works. <laughs> and yeah, the, the the entire like this this is this is playing off of the entire drone and and uh, quadcopter uh, game with flight control and all that. I think that's that's really made parts very easily and cheaply available. And it's also pushed the software a lot. Like I'm, I'm, I can program my speed controller through USB if I just plug it into my flight controller, which will make no sense at all if you've never used these parts, the words that I'm saying. But everything just works beautifully together. It's a bit, it's a bit tricky to configure, but it's, it feels really solid. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's all open source too, so that's that's amazing, obviously. <laughs> yeah cool yeah maybe we find the time at at some point to go flying together and do something like war war bird whose plane will crash at first something something <laughs> oh I, I, I gotta get i don't want to wreck this one maybe we should like a disposable one first. 3d printable yeah mm-hmm. easy replacement mm-hmm. parts yeah. <laughs> cool all right uh Let's head over to questions, shall we? Yes, let's do that. Which one should we start with? Yeah, I think with the first one. So, um, who was asking that? So, uh, there actually was a an article on a couple of sites, Gizmodo, for example, a um, couple of days ago, that researchers 3D printed plastic cubes with complex patterns that made them bulletproof. And yeah. Kyle Taylor on Twitter pointed it out to us. Oh, yeah. Um, I have seen that. Unfortunately, the, the paper itself is not accessible if you're not paying for it. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Have you read it? I have just. I, read... I have not. No. Okay, no. I've I've just read the article on on a couple of pages where they featured that. But basically, what they said, uh, they printed like a what's it carbon nanotube structure, and they shot like a solid block with a high velocity projectile and the three D printed plastic cube and the three D printed plastic cube with the special structure held up way better. Um, for me, it's a bit. I don't know what I think about that. As I said, I didn't read the paper itself, but for me, it just looked like okay. On the one hand, you have a big piece of plastic, and if you shoot it, it will scatter because everything is connected. And then you have the block, which has voids on the inside and uh, has like layer lines and stuff like that. And if you shoot that one cracks and also the well impact will not propagate as far through the material that everything is shattering in the end what i want to say with that is i'm not 100 percent sure if their crazy structure made the part bulletproof or just the process of printing it and many other structures would have had the same effect yeah, it's, I mean, obviously it's easy to, to go off of those headlines. Uh, resulting in plastic objects that are almost as hard and durable as diamond. <sighs> um, ah. Yeah, I don't know how a material can be harder than, or a metamaterial, a, a structure made of, can be harder than the, like, it, it ain't, sorry, it doesn't work that way. I guess it's, if it was made out of carbon nanotubes, it would be, 
as or harder or as hard uh, and as durable as diamonds maybe but not if it's printed from plastic at a larger scale yeah. now yeah you basically you're saying hey if this was you know another infill structure it's it's it would have dispersed the energy just as well and yeah i i see that i see that it's kind of like the um what's the 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 new infrastructure gyroids uh, yeah gyroids right which is supposed to be like the absolutely strongest most rigid i I don't remember what they're claiming exactly structure um you can you can create as a metamaterial here i think it's just it's just different it's a material that is compliant because that's what you need to to absorb uh energy from whatever projectile you chuck at it it doesn't need to be it shouldn't be uh stiff Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I mean, I guess it's cool, but it's. Uh, I'm not a fan of overhyping stuff like, oh, this is, huh. you know, we can we can 3D print diamonds out of or material that is as good as diamonds out of plastic. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Uh, if you guys are interested, we'll leave links to the well article and maybe the paper down in the show notes yeah it's just a, a really squishy infrastructure basically yeah <laughs> they've created <laughs> all right uh, next uh, question next question andrew hayes do you think metal 3d printing will evolve into the hobbyist market and if so how long do you think it will take and i guess the next one from <laughs> mac mac one board Mac one board, yeah, that, that makes yeah. sense. Fellas, have you tried Ultrafuse 316 BASF stainless part filament service? Is there a way of sintering at home? So, Stefan, you've talked to the BASF guys at Form Next. Yes, um, I did. The folks from Matter Hackers are also offering that service of well, post-processing the 316 prints. But can you sum up wh- how, what that looks like right now, what that process looks like? So currently you buy a spool of filament, which, uh, don't quote me on that, is something like 100 euros per kilogram. Something in that range. I think even a bit more expensive. Um, you print basically the part, um, the so-called green part, which is should be a little bit bigger, around 18-20%, because it will sh- later shrink during the centering process. Print it out, um, ship it to one of BASF's like debindering and sintering suppliers, which in Germany is handled by um, something like a subsidiary of IGO 3D. In right. the US, I think Matter Hackers somehow yep. handle that. Yep. Um, they will charge you around, I think, 60 bucks per kilogram. So that's not included in the spool price. That is not included in the spool price. Okay. That's an additional amount of money you have to pay to get the bind uh, the parts debindered and sintered. Debindering means th- um, removing like the leftover polymer that is still holding like the cake of metal together. Yeah, because the filament itself to be printable is not just metal powder. No. Compressed it's into filament, it's metal you know, with the a powder binder. suspended in, you know, some plastic that burns out, like a 
PP or PLA or something that, that it can just mm. burn away. It's actually not burned out. It's catalytically debindered, which means that the part is put in an oven at a temperature of, I don't know, it's, I think between 150 or, and 250 degrees Celsius with ammonia or something like that. And that is then slowly chewing away the chains of polymer. So okay. it's not burned out. It's not burned it's out. It's more so like washed out, I guess. It's kind of washed out. Um, yeah. Desktop metal, they're usually using a, a washing process where you kind of just wash the binder out with a solvent. Um, the BSF Ultrafuse works with catalytic debindering where you need a special oven okay. for it with a special atmosphere. After that, you have your brown part which is the metal powder without the polymer or just really small remainders of the polymer yeah. left. Probably probably fragile as, as all hell. Yeah, it, it is fragile. <clears throat> um, and then you take this part and put it into the sintering oven. And sintering is happening, I think, at 80% of the melting temperature of the material. So those temperatures are way higher than during debindering. And... During that process, really the the, the leftover metal uh, balls or spheres or something like that, they sinter together. And sintering together also means that the volume is reduced and the density is increased, which means that um, the part will shrink in the end and you will get a part that is... 86, 87, 80, sorry, um, 96 to... 98% 98% dense in the end after the sintering process. It is not fully dense. It still has voids on the inside, um, but it is almost as dense as like normal material. But the problem right. is the pots will shrink, the pots will warp. Um, you need to account for that. So you do not only need to change uh, the sizing of the part it might even be necessary depending on the shape of the part that you really like deform it beforehand and this is kind of the interesting and also complicated process um i think bsf is tackling that by um simulation um they they offer for the customers so you okay. can basically put your STL in there. They do a, a sintering simulation and you get a pre-deformed STL that you then, then print out. And this way, the chance is bigger that the final part will have the shape as it uh, should be. Yeah. Do you know anything about what the final strength of your part is going to be? Because if you have just a solid rolled cast, no. whatever, chunk of steel... Like that is very nearly 100% dense. But as soon as you, you include those those voids, I, I'd imagine because it used mm. to be balls that basically you heat them up so much that they, they kind of start sticking together like a water mm. droplet soaks onto it. Exactly. Or, or, yeah, kind of like that. They stick together, but there's still all these notches and, and, and voids and stuff on the inside. So I... So you can I yeah you, you can take a, that, that would have a significant impact on, on strength. You can take a look at the material values that are in the 
BASF um, data sheets or just the MIM data sheets, so metal injection molding where kind of the same material is used, um, you don't get the strength of really the raw material. Um, it's still quite ductile, so you still get like 50% of um, elongation at break, but the strength is a little bit lower. So you start yielding quite soon. Um, it is way, way um, stronger than a normal 3D printed part. but Plastic part. Plastic part, yeah, exactly. Yes, but I, it, I, w- I would hope for that. <laughs> it is not as strong yeah. as a direct metal laser-centered part. It's it's somewhere in between like a normal plastic, good plastic part and a... Uh, and, uh, MLS part it's it's a really interesting yeah. process um, you need to have applications for it because in the end like one kilogram of finished part will cost you like 300 bucks something like that yeah. with material debindering and centering and um, the cost for the machine where you're printing it on it is not cheap um, but it might enable you to print structures you weren't able to manufacture conventionally before and the sorry and the price for for a machine that can handle the ultra fuse material is way lower than if you would buy even even the one click metal machine because you can print that material i even printed that on my cr10 with a hardened steel nozzle yeah i, I was going to say that the the upfront cost for using something yeah. like ultra fuse is way lower than getting into dmls uh, or any of the other processes that can give you a quote-unquote solid metal part. Uh, because even the one-click metal machine that they've now officially announced is 55,000 euros plus, if you want that, a 24,000 euro cleaning station. It's basically a hot, uh, hot air, compressed air, um, kind of debindering station and, and a powder sieve. I mean, I think material... Wise, powder wise, DMLS at that point is actually cheaper than, than going with the Ultra Fuse. Um, Material wise, yes. If you also take the depreciation of the machine into consideration, it maybe is not. True. But yeah. for example, for the one click metal, it, it could be really competitive and even cheaper. Yeah. Yeah, and the though again, that, that is actual real metal melting. Yeah. Um, and the, the appeal, again, of the Ultrafuse is that you don't need that upfront investment. Mm. And what Mac OneBoard is, is asking about, is there a way of sintering at home? No. A pos- I mean, yeah. I, I guess you could figure out a way to do it, but uh, it ain't going to be cheap. Yeah. Like it's, it's not going to be a, yeah. an approachable or affordable sintering and debindering yeah. setup. As, as I said, you... you- don't simply just burn out the polymer. Um, it is like kind of washed out in this catal- catalytic, blah, horrible. Yeah. Catalyst- catalytic process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's getting late. Keep going. Uh, so you might find a way to do that, but I think it's 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 not easy. There is there is a company somewhere in Canada or on the west coast of the US that has created a printer that kind of just um, puts down metal powder and sand in a kiln and you end up with like a big container of metal powder and sand and then you only 
take like this container and put it into an oven and it's also you, you'll get a, a sintered part out of there um joel 3d make uh, 3d printing nerd made a video about them i don't know a year or two ago that sounded really interesting because the investment for the machine was only just like five thousand bucks uh the resolution okay. is not great but i think it's it might be a feasible approach i don't know if if they're still producing those machines but that's really interesting um i'll see if i can find a link and put it on the description yeah um and i guess to to fully answer andrew's question about you know whether 3d metal printing will ever evolve into the hobbyist market uh what what process do we have we have the the binder based stuff like uh ultrafuse um which is i believe also similar stuff that the mark forged metal printer is doing yep. right yeah um then we have the dmls direct metal blazer centering or powder bed fusion or whatever the, the other brand names are that they're being chucked around Problems there, patents and lasers. You do need a fairly powerful laser system uh, and all the safety stuff that goes along with it and the uh, shielding gas atmosphere and the, um, what's it called, powder spreader, basically, wiper. It's, I mean, the, the base, the process itself really isn't that complicated, but it's just, it needs to be perfect to work. Mm -hmm. Everything, everything needs to be perfect and of course the powder itself is also expensive and dangerous. so that's probably yes too yes it's quite fine powder that you don't want to breathe um so that's probably not something that you that you're gonna see in a low cost setup because the parts are just always going to be expensive <laughs> uh what else is there what we talked about in the beginning um just like putting a mig welder on a robot arm or even on just a Cartesian yeah. 3D printer. This is something which is viable. Um, this which is called, has done that. Yeah, direct energy <laughs> deposition DED, that's called. Yeah. Um, basically, MIG welding on, 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 a, on a robot, which is working. The problem with these parts is that they are really rough. And if you take a look at the machines of DMG Mori, who are doing DED with powder, but basically yeah. the same thing. Um, they machine all of the surfaces. But I think there was the bridge that was like um, yeah, DED yeah, yeah. welded with, with robots, which is somewhere in, in the Netherlands. Yeah, when, when it doesn't need to look pretty or be mm. super precise, like you can, you can do that. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't be too expensive. I, I guess there would be also a bit of an issue with warping and all that because yeah. you still... I mean, it, it, warping is a problem with uh, DMLS as well. Yeah. Because obviously you do introduce a lot of heat in one spot and then have the part mostly cool down before you... It's, it's the same as with FDM. It's just way more extreme. Yeah. So yeah, that, that maybe is the one that is the most approachable still. Yeah. Because you need a MIG weld, and MIG welders are, are fairly cheap. Yeah. <laughs> but again, and the robot arm. Yeah. And software. <laughs> oh, it works on a three axis. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I don't see metal um, becoming really popular thing in the next couple of years just because it's so expensive. Um, if you're looking for strong parts, buy yourself a CNC router or CNC mill. Yeah. And, Check them out that way, I'd say. 
and decent CNC routers are getting fairly cheap, um, especially if you want to want to do smaller parts and stuff like DMLS doesn't do large parts either. Yeah. Um, so you know, a, a small Chinese mill or something is probably a better um, a better idea than trying to build a laser powder bed fusion machine. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question. Maximilian KJ Arnold was asking why are all the 3D printing YouTubers shilling or (laughs) reviewing Chinese printer and why aren't they doing that for Western or European or American 3D printers? Do do you want the simple answer for that? (laughs) (laughs) I get about three to four emails every day of a Chinese manufacturer going like, hey, Tom, do you want to review my printer? We're going to send you one. I don't get that from Western manufacturers. It's just, you know, Chinese manufacturers are way more keen to get their printers reviewed by people like us. Um, Many of them downright go like, hey, what do you charge for a review? And I'm like, I don't charge for reviews. Sorry. But (laughs) business practices are just different in China, I I guess, Um, which may be taken, which I've learned that it may be taken, you know, down the Falschen Hals is there an equivalent get it into the wrong neck <laughs> yeah I mean uh, yeah misunderstand it, it yeah mis- misunderstood alienates uh, us western folks but they're very keen on just getting the machines reviewed and also you guys are asking <clears throat> us for the reviews of the Chinese machines so because they're usually we're... cheaper those machines yes yeah yeah so that's that's what what you guys want to have an opinion on and want want to buy so uh, I mean, I'd, I'd appreciate if, if a little spot came along and was like, hey, you want to review the Mini 2? I've reviewed the Mini 1. Sure. Uh, but I'm I'm just seeing that many Western manufacturers are also moving up in price and Chinese manufacturers mm-hmm. are, are starting to uh, take that lower price bracket exclusively to mm-hmm. themselves. Maybe, you know, Prusa Mini, something like that. But yeah. yeah. Chinese are just way better at at pushing their printers. <laughs> Marketing budget is higher. Yeah, I think that's that's it. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All Man, right. it's it's getting late. Why why do we keep recording these these extra? We've already taken out topics out of this one. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, but I think that's it for today. Or yeah. So pretty much. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you for being that patient and, uh, well, not expecting a podcast every two weeks. Sorry for that. Thank you for still listening, even though we don't have chapter marks. Yes. And as always, if you want to support this uh, podcast, you can do so through either Patreon on either of our two's uh, Patreon campaigns. Do we have a... Du- we, we should probably do like a paypal or direct account or something yeah i don't know is that something that we should think about because i mean this podcast is work for us it does take time we've talked about this at, at form next it takes either of us basically a, a working day yeah. to have at least have to a full working day to get this thing edited and uploaded and all that uh it does take time but we appreciate that you guys are listening watching giving thumbs up sharing the podcast subscribing on youtube and yeah doing, doing all those awesome things yeah, Stefan, thank you for your time. Thank you for yours. Thank you and for your time, listeners. And I guess we see you in the next one. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye.
Time to record the intro.